Amen. All your debt is paid. Isn't that awesome? You are debt-free in the name of Jesus. Hey, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Thanks for being here. I'm excited about this day and, and what, celebrating it with, together because, you know, we've all experienced a, a tough couple of years together. The whole world, we've all, this is a, an amazing time where we've all experienced tough times. And, and with all that's going on in the world today, many people have lost hope for their future. And, and in fact, along with the other shortages we are dealing with, Hope is something that is in short supply these days. This worldwide pandemic, this war that's going on in Ukraine, the endless threats of terrorism that we hear, and they call, cause some people to be hopeless. And all the disasters that we see, the fires, the earthquake, the tsunamis or tornadoes, things we could do nothing about, cause some people to be fearful and, and, and hopeless. And now we're dealing with inflation and, and rising interest rates and the cost of everything is going up and, and there's a lot of people that, that do not hope, have any hope for, for their future financially and, and many young Americans that are, are overwhelmingly pessimistic and hopeless about their future. So we're facing hopelessness on a worldwide scale, on a national scale, and many of us on a personal scale. Some people have, have experienced devastating losses in the last couple of years. Many people have lost family members, friends, relationships. Some have lost jobs or careers. And, and these things can make people fearful and, and, and weighed down and, and heavy. And it makes some people question, does God really care? Is God really still working in the world today? Listen, if you want to know the, a worldwide pandemic right now, I'll tell you, it's hopelessness. Hopelessness is pandemic in the world today. And it's so sad. And what make, makes it even sadder is that the rates of addiction and suicide are increasing expon, exponentially because people have no hope. Drug addiction, way up, because people don't know how to cope without the hope. But the more I see the world falling apart, listen to me. The more I see it, the more that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. The only hope. And because he is our hope, the church has hope to offer the world. But we must have it first. Listen, church, we've got to have hope first if we're going to have anything to offer the world. We've got to have it first. So today I'm preaching on resurrecting hope. That hope that has been lost, that hope that is seemingly gone. We're going we're gonna to believe for resurrection for that hope today because Easter is all about having hope to overcome life's greatest challenges. Easter is all about hope. It's all about hope. Even when our dream seems to be dead and gone, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should always have hope. Always because of Easter. In fact, the Bible says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 3. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. Look at that. It's not just new birth so that one day you can get into heaven. It's a new birth so that right now 
You are birthed into right now a living hope. Through how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we're born again, when we're forgiven, when we receive new life in Christ, God births us into a living hope. Don't you love that? It's alive, this hope. You see, people without God have no hope. The, the Bible describes that in Ephesians 2.12 when it says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Many of you lived that life. Many of us did. And many of us came to God, uh, as Pastor Deb talked about. I, I saw her the first day she get, came to church. I saw her. It's the first time I ever saw her. And, and she got saved walking that aisle of the First Southern Baptist Church of St. Clair Shores, Michigan. I, first time I laid eyes on her, she was walking the aisle to get saved because she woke up that morning knowing the hopelessness that she had experienced in her life and in her family. And she said, I don't want to carry this on in my life. I don't want to be like my family. I don't want to live this hopeless life without God. She got up, went to church, received God, and was birthed into a living hope that morning. And that hope is not just any kind of hope. It's not a hope that comes and goes. It's a living hope, a lasting hope, and it's a life-changing hope. Now listen to me closely. I submit to you today, hopelessness is not a result of circumstances. Because I can go through something, and you can go through the same exact thing, and we can go through them very differently. See, one of us can go through it with hope, and one of us can go through it without hope. I submit to you today that hopelessness is a result of misplaced faith. Misplaced by trusting anything other than God. To fix your problems. If you trust in anything other than God, any people other than God, you are doomed to hopelessness. People who trust in other people to fix their problems are doomed to hopelessness. People who are trusting in the government to fix their lives are doomed to hopelessness. People who trust in themselves are doomed to hopelessness. Psalm 118, 8 and 9 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in human leaders. One of the reasons I think there's so much hopelessness today is because people look at human leaders. They look at leaders in our country. They see leaders in the church falling away and and getting into moral sin, and it's causing a lot of despair and depression and hopelessness in people, but our hope cannot be in people. We've got to have faith in something bigger than that. Hope comes through faith in God and and through faith in the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, today I want to preach on this, and and this sermon's kind of different than I thought I was going to be preaching. It's different from the usual kind of Easter sermons I preach, but I got to thinking about the original disciples who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, listen, they believed he was going to usher the kingdom of God into the world. He did, but not the way they thought. They thought he was going to overthrow Rome free Israel from Roman bondage, and set up a literal kingdom on earth with Jesus, the Messiah, as king. They placed all their hopes and dreams in that. And they were crushed on that Friday when Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb. They had placed all their hope in what they thought he was going to do and accomplish on earth for them. 
and now he was dead. They believed he was the Messiah and that he was going to change the world. But in their minds, it was all over. It wasn't until a woman named Mary visited the, the tomb on Sunday that, that hope was restored because the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen. And Easter was the reminder that because Jesus is alive, we have hope. And as I was praying about preaching this week, I pray the prayer I pray every time I preach. I mean, this is my constant prayer. God, what do you want to say through this sermon? I can come up with stuff to preach. And, and I can preach some good stuff. But you don't need a, a good word from Pastor Joe. You need a word from God. See, a word from me at best can inform you. But a word from Almighty God can transform you. It can change your life forever. So that's why my constant prayer is, God, what do you want to say? God, what do you want to say? God, what do you want to say? And so I was praying and I was studying. I looked up all these scriptures on, on, on hope. And, and I preached on hope many times. And I preached on hope uh, on Easter many times. But, but I felt the Lord saying this. And I've never really had this thought before. I've never preached on this before. But he said this, too many believers have an incomplete view of hope. An incomplete view of hope. Now, now, I've preached many times on the two sides of faith. I, I've preached how you, there's a belief side and there's a trust side. You should know that by now if you've been here any time. You should be able to stand up here and preach that message yourself. Because I've talked about how if faith is, first of all, believing in God for, for what you need God to do. Believing God for things. But the trust side is that no matter what God does, no matter how he does it, no matter when he does it, no matter through whom he does it, you are going to have faith in him and trust him no matter what. And some people err on one side or the other. Some people are all on the belief side of faith. They believe God, they believe God, they believe God, they pray big prayers, but when it doesn't happen, some of them even fall away from the faith because, well, I believe God for this and that it didn't happen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you never had this thought before. I believe for God for this. I prayed and fasted for this. It did not happen. Right. What do you do in those times? You've got to learn to trust God. Now, I was raised up in a style of church where you just trusted God. You just didn't believe for nothing. We believe for people to get saved. That was about it. We didn't pray for no sick or nothing else like that. I mean, we believe for any miracles. We, we didn't believe for much, but we were just kind of trusting God. But you got to have the balance in faith. It's the same way in hope. Same way. Some people have an incomplete view of hope. Specifically, listen, specifically they're confused about uh, the difference between hoping for and hoping in. The Bible teaches us to hope for God to do things, but it also teaches us to hope in God no matter what. There are two different things. This is what I want you to get today, the understanding the difference between hoping for God to do something and hoping in God no matter what. You need both sides of that hope. For example, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith involves hope. Faith involves hope. You can't have faith without hope. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's okay to hope for things. It's, it's right and it's biblical to hope for God, to save your family, to heal your sickness, to set you free from addictions, to, to provide for your needs, to protect you from uh, harm. It, that is a great thing, and that is one side and one level of hope. But there is another deeper level of hope, and that le- level of hope is to hope in God no matter what. To hope in God whether or not what you're hoping for happens. Whether or not it happens how you want or when you want. Listen, some people say they hope in God and they're only actually only hoping for God to do something in their situation. And you know that because when what they hope for doesn't happen, they turn on God. God doesn't come through exactly like they want, exactly how they want, exactly when they want, exactly through whom they want. They can fall away because their hope was only in what they wanted from God. Your hope cannot be only what you want from God. Your hope must be in God. That is a deeper level of hope, having your hope in God. And so even when I talk about resurrecting hope, many people think, they they still think, well, that means that something I lost hope for is going to be resurrected. My dead marriage is going to be resurrected. My my dead career is going to be resurrected. That dream I gave up on is going to be resurrected. Well, well, maybe. And it's okay to hope for those things. Uh, But it's not okay to put your hope in those things. I'll give you an example. A lot of people put their hope in money. A lot of people do. And there was a survey done once about how much money do you think you would need just to, to, to be happy? And, and, and it was a certain amount of money. I'm going to make this number up, but let's just say it was, it was $10,000. No matter how much people made, they all, almost all gave the same answer. If I made $20,000 a year, well, if I just made $10,000 more, I would be happy. So they talk to people making 30000 a year. Well, if I just only had 10000 more, I would be happy. So talk to people making 40000 a year. I, I, if I had 10000 more, I'd be happy. Talk to them making 100000 If I had 10000 more, I would be happy. No matter what, it was never enough. If I only had more money, a lot of people think that. If I only had more money, everything would be okay. But 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You might say, but Pastor Joe, I'm not rich. Oh, you've seen, if you've been here any length of time, you've seen this too, where I put up on the screen the average amount that an average American makes. You are in the top like 4 or 5% of the richest people in the world. Stop comparing yourself to Elon Musk and Bill Gates. Compared to the whole world, most of us are in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. You're in the top 5% with Bill Gates and Elon Musk. Most of you here are in that top 5%. So, So you can have, by the way, you can have zero money and still be placing your hope in money. See, and resurrecting hope goes way beyond this. It's talking about having hope in God no matter what else you want is resurrected. The disciples of Jesus had this same problem. Here's the problem. They had a problem based on a misunderstanding of Scripture and a lack of faith in what Jesus told them. 
And that misunderstanding and that lack of faith resulted in disappointment and discouragement and hopelessness in the disciples. The scriptural misunderstanding was this. It had to do with messianic prophecy. Did you know that there's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus? Given by over 30 prophets in the Bible over thousands of years, all of them which have come to, have come to pass in one person, Jesus Christ. No other person who has ever lived or will ever live will have all these prophecies come true in their lives. It's an amazing thing. It shows the supernatural origin of Jesus Christ and of the Bible. But people in the time of Christ believed that the Messiah would come to earth, overthrow Rome, usher in the kingdom of God. So the disciples of Christ believed that. They were waiting on him to physically rise up and defeat Rome and rule the earth, and they would rule with him. And, and, and there were many prophecies in the Bible about that, about the coming of a Messiah who would be a savior, a deliverer, a king. They had their facts right, but they had their timing wrong. They did not understand that Jesus came first. And there's other prophecies about this, uh, of the, the suffering servant. They did not understand that he would first come to die. They did not understand that. He first came to die and to suffer, but he's coming back as a conquering king. They believed all the scriptures about the Messiah being king. They overlooked all the passages about him coming to earth to die first. And not only did they misinterpret the scripture, they did not understand or believe that Jesus would be killed and rise again in three days. This is a mind-boggling thing. I looked this up this week. About all the times, I looked up, this is what I've searched, how many times, and show me all the times that, that Jesus said he would rise again after three days. There's over 20 times in the Bible, and, and you know not every time it was recorded. I mean, the Bible says he did so much and said so much that, that, that the Bible doesn't even record. So, but at least 20 times that we have recorded, he said this would happen. And I'm going to read a few of them to you and show you how the disciples responded. In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, from that time on, Jesus began to explain. So from that time on, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. They didn't say amen. In fact, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Not only did the disciples not believe what Jesus was plainly telling them, Peter actually rebuked Jesus for even saying it. Now listen, put it in the context of us and our lives. I'll say this nicely. How many times have we tried to kind of straighten God out? Now God, you, you, let me help you understand here this situation. You understand this is happening, that's happening, and this is happening, and what you need to do is this. We get into that mentality sometimes, trying to tell God as if he doesn't know what the real situation is and what he ought to do to straighten it out. 
But the disciples did not believe. They actually rebuked Jesus, and, and they ended up hopeless later because of it. In Matthew 20, verse 17, here it shows you how far they missed what Jesus said. As Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He's telling them what's happening. We're on our way. This is what's going to happen, right? You with me? One person. Wake up! You with me? Thank you. He's telling them, this is what's going to happen. They will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then, right then, after that, the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, two of his close disciples. And kneeling down, said, can I ask you a favor? He just told her, I'm about to be killed and crucified and rise again. What do you want, he said. She said, can you grant that one of these of my two sons might sit at your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom? Jesus just told her what was going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to rise again. They miss his point so much that they start asking questions. Because they, because they believe, they still believe he's setting up a literal kingdom on earth. She's not talking about when you get to heaven here. She's saying, when you set up your kingdom here, can one of my sons be on your right and one of my sons be on your left? And, 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 and that so enraged the other disciples that then a, a whole huge argument and fight broke out with all the disciples over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. And they totally missed, I'm going to be killed and rise again on the third day. Because they were all concerned about their position, their power, their recognition. Listen to this in Luke 18, 31. The Bible says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. See, they missed all those scriptures. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Listen to what your Bible says. The disciples did not understand any of this. The significance of his words were hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. These are the men who walked and talked with Jesus every day for years. He could not have been any clearer about how he would be killed and how he would rise again after three days. But his disciples were clueless. They continued to be clueless. After he was resurrected, he appeared to two hopeless disciples. They were so hopeless that they were leaving Jerusalem and walking back home to Emmaus because they believed Jesus was dead and buried. And so in Luke 24, he asked them, what are you talking about to each other as you walk along? They didn't recognize him because they thought he was dead. And they stood still with sad faces. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening in these last few days? He's asking Jesus. Do you not know what's happened in the last few days? Jesus, who had been crucified, killed, buried, and rose again. What things, he said. The things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. This man was a prophet and was considered by God and all the people to be powerful in everything he said and did. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and he was crucified. And we had hoped, listen, we had hoped he would be the one who would redeem and set Israel free. He did, but not like they wanted. 
He did it spiritually. He redeemed them. He made the possibility of salvation and them to be set free. They wanted to be set free from Roman bondage. That's what their eyes were on. And what is more, listen, I'll talk about this more in a minute. It's the third day since all this took place. They're believing for Jesus to overthrow Rome, set up the kingdom, but they ended their story talking to Jesus, but in their mind, he was dead and buried, and they had lost their hope. They were standing in the presence of the one called resurrection and life, and they were talking like he was dead. And many of us are so hopeless that our stories always end up with Jesus dead. We have stories of defeat, but we never get over into the victory of resurrection life. So Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? They miss all those verses. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These disciples had lost hope. They were leaving a town, leaving following Christ because they did not understand the scripture. They lost hope because they did not believe what Jesus himself told them that he would rise again after third day. I, I, did you catch what they said? It's been three days since this occurred. They should have known what was going to happen three days after Jesus was killed and buried? They should have known. He told them over and over again he would rise again. They should all been at the garden tomb that morning, early in the morning, with pom-poms and a band and confetti and everything else, with praise on their lips, with faith in their heart, just waiting for that tomb to open and Jesus to come forth. But they did not believe, not any of them believed that. It's a mind-boggling. And as a result, they were hopeless. Even after the resurrection and Jesus appeared to all his disciples, they still asked him in Acts 1-6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. In other words, that's none of your business. That's all y'all think about. It's all you talk about. That's all you're believing for. Me setting up a literal physical kingdom here. He said, here's the important thing. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, in other words, stop worrying about when we're going to set up a physical kingdom on earth. I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to baptize you with, the, with fire and the Holy Spirit and, and you'll be my witnesses and, and I'm going to empower you to extend my spiritual kingdom on the earth now. Listen to me. Here's the message. Be careful of having hope for something without having hope in God. Don't allow your disappointment about what hasn't happened steal your hope in the God who is your only hope. If you turn on God, you have no hope. Instead, you've got to do what David did in Psalm 42 and 43. He talks about his tears. In both those chapters, you ought to go read them. He, over and over, he talks about his tears and how the enemy was surrounded him and they're, they're oppressing him and they're mocking him. And he, he, was, he was actually mourning and, and grieving and crying over it. But three times in those two chapters, three times in those two short chapters, he says the very same thing. Here's one of them in Psalm 43, 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? 
I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. And he's acknowledging his own feeling of discouragement and, and sadness. But he doesn't, he doesn't just stop there. David said, in spite of my emotions, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him as my Savior and my God. Listen, you're going to have emotions in life. We all do. But you cannot allow emotions to control your life. You cannot allow them to be your God. Some people allow their emotions to be their God, and they end up hopeless. What you've got to do is learn to acknowledge your emotions, like David did in times of discouragement, but still put your hope in God, not just hoping God to change, for God to change your circumstances, but choosing to trust him no matter what. We've got to trust him and praise him even when we feel hopeless. Now, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. It starts off talk, describing a really bad time. Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the field, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no harvest, though there be no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now, so this, when he was writing this, their economy was totally based on agriculture. So he's saying, though there's no products on the grocery shelves, They're turning out no cars at the GM plant. (laughs) Nobody's producing anything. Talking about total economic collapse. Even if the economy fails, even if no one jobs, no one has a job. Even if gas goes up to $10 a pint. Even if everything, listen to me, I'm trying to help you this morning. That's what he's describing in our terms. Yet, even if it all falls apart, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the high or the high places. Listen, we've got to do the same thing this uh, that Habakkuk did. We've got to add the yet. When we go through tough times, you've got to add the yet. Add the word yet or the word but and give yourself something to rejoice about. For instance, I hate my job. But thank God I got a job. Come on, don't just stop it. Here's one I, I, I'm, man, I get on I-20. I hate this traffic. I hate getting on I-20. But thank God I got a car and a paved road. You, you might be in school. I, I don't like every school subject. I, I hate some of them, in fact. But, but thank God I'm getting educated. I mean, there's always something to rejoice in. Listen, sometimes we rejoice because God removes the tough time, the hard time, the high place. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes, like we see here in this verse, he gives us feet like a, a deer that we can just leap over those high places. So, so we praise him for that. God, you're going to get me through it one way or the other. Either, uh, either you're going to resolve this circumstance, but if you don't, you're going to get me through it. Lord, I'm, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall by my God. I am strong by my God. I have hope and I will praise him. I'm going to give him a sacrifice of praise. That's how you turn hopelessness into hope. 
Because Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence, the presence of God behind the veil. Praise gets us into God's presence where we find an anchor. Listen, you need an anchor for your life where you're not blown around by every circumstance and every wind. That, and that hope is, is the opposite of disappointment. The anchor is hope. It's the opposite of disappointment. And when you're, disappointment, you want to, when you're disappointed, you want to run, but hope will anchor you. When you're disappointed, you want to give up and go back, but hope will anchor you. And so I encourage you today, overcome your disappointment by praising God until you get into his presence and your soul gets anchored in hope. Listen to what Psalm 71, 14 says. But as for me, this one, I'm believing this. As for me and my house, we will always have hope. And Lord, we will praise you more and more. This should be... This would be your your goal in life. I will always have hope in God, and I'm going to praise him more and more. The worse it gets, the more I'm going to praise. The better it gets, the more I'm going to praise. I'm not going to stop either way. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to always have hope. I'm going to always have praise. I'm going to be filled with hope. I'm going to, my mouth is going to be filled with praise. Why? Because Jesus came to earth that first time as a lamb that was slain, but he rose again. He resurrected hope, and he's coming back again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time they expected him to set up a, a, a kingdom on earth, an earthly kingdom, but he came to earth submitted to the king's authority, but he's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The first time he came to earth as a baby dressed in swaddling clothes, he's coming back with a robe dipped in blood. The first time he came to die, he's coming back to raise the dead. The first time he wore a crown of thorns, he's coming back with a crown of glory. The first time he died on the cross, he's coming back as a conquering king. The first time he came to earth in meekness, he's coming back in majesty. He came to earth in poverty, he's coming back in power. The first time he rode a lowly donkey in Jerusalem, when he comes back, he's coming back as a king, riding a white horse, leading the armies of heaven. His eyes, the Bible says, will be a flame of fire. Out of his mouth will go a sharp sword. His name will be written on his thigh. His name is King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Vladimir Putin will have to bow his knee and say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Everybody you ever know, good, bad, or ugly, every one of them are going to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready? Are you ready? Listen, if all the prophecies about his first coming came to pass, and they did, you better believe all the prophecies about his second coming will come to pass. And we're living in a day when prophecy is being unfolded in front of our very eyes. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? If he came back today, are you ready to meet him? The only way to know for sure is to know I have, I have been born again. How are you born again? The Bible says in Romans, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, 
and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. It takes belief and confession. Have you believed? I'm not saying believe in the facts. It's not just believe. It's more than just believing in the facts. But it's actually placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus' cross. You can say, yeah, I believe he died on a cross. But it's another thing to say, he died on that cross for me. He paid for my sin. And I confess that I need him. I repent of my sin. I turn to him. And I confess that he is my Lord. That's how you're born again. I'm going to ask you to just bow your head for a moment. Close your eyes. Not looking around. I just want to lead, lead us in a prayer this morning. Just a prayer of salvation. And some people have never prayed this prayer. But I'm asking everybody, if you'll repeat after me, just for the sake of others, if we could all just say it out loud. Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus, confessing I need you. I have sinned. I've done wrong. But I believe you died on a cross for my sin. And I believe you rose from the dead so I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus died for me. And I confess Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Come into my heart. Take over my life. Forgive me. Give me a new life in Christ. And birth me into a living hope. In Jesus' name. So just keep your head bowed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I prayed that prayer to ask Jesus in my heart. Just all over the sanctuary, just lift your hand real quick. Just, you, you need to acknowledge that, hey, I've done this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else just around the congregation? Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Hey. That's awesome. Hey, let's welcome these, these new ones who've confessed Jesus as their Lord today into our family. Thanking Jesus for all he's done. If online you, you made that decision today, just put in the comments there, if you're on Facebook Live or wherever, just put on the comments, my, hashtag my decision. We'll get in touch with you and, and help you. And we want to help you grow in your faith. And uh, you have opportunities here. And if you made that decision today, I encourage you to go to the Connection Center and, and get some more uh, information about how we can help disciple you in the Lord. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. Uh, if you need prayer, if you're in a hopeless situation, if, you're, if you need uh, to be filled with the Spirit, if you need healing, whatever you need, if you need to pray for somebody else, somebody in your family, a friend, we want to pray for you with whatever need you have in your life. By the way, next week I'm going to be continuing this, our series talking about warfare. I encourage you to come back because, listen, we're going into days more than ever in your lifetime. Hear me. Where you're going to need to know how to take authority over the enemy. You're going to need to know the weapons of your warfare. You're going to need to know how to put your armor on. You're going to need to know how to defeat the devil in the name of Jesus. We're going to be teaching that on that for the next few weeks. So I encourage you to be back. Love you so much.